0: Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thea and Tom Breeze. Episode 6 Limitless Diversity in Physics and STEM with Dr. Julia Jenkins.
1: Dr. Julia Jenkins, what's a person who has escaped from Cardiff Met doing in a place like this?
2: welcome that is Mr Breeze. (laughs) It's it's absolutely delightful to be back in uh, these salubrious surroundings with two of my best friends here so at thank you for having me today. It's Uh, lovely to
1: see you yeah and last time you came on was right back in the first season I think when you were working for Teach First Cymru but now you're working for the Institute of Physics.
2: I am indeed I'm doing I'm working for the Institute of Physics part-time but I'm actually doing some interesting work freelance as well in terms of advice and guidance on STEM and strategic development across the board. So it's, yeah, all very different.
1: It's very nice to have some physics on the podcast because uh, I've got a bit of an interest here because my dad was a physics lecturer and I thoroughly disappointed him by becoming a music specialist. (laughs) But my heart, always a little bit of my heart in the physics world. So it's really nice to have a bit of physics on the podcast.
0: That's brilliant. And I suppose knowing... You so well as both a friend and colleague. I think I can say with confidence that what you're about to talk to us about today is something that you're extremely passionate about. So I think before we get into the details of, I'm not going to call it a project because you've told me in no uncertain terms that this is not a project. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the sort of initiative and the network that you're going to discuss with us today. Um, I think we probably ought to just talk to our listeners about physics in education. The challenges that it has historically faced, and uh, that kind of set the context a little bit. So, physics in education. Julia Jenkins, a pit, a pit st- <laughs> a potted rip. history, if you will, in two minutes. Yeah. Okay.
2: We'll against, to set
1: that clock again. Against the like red
2: light. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No problem. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to channel my inner Simon Sinek and I'm going to start with why. So I'm going to tell you a bit of a story. I want to take us to a report that was produced by the Institute of Physics last October. Yeah. Yeah. And within that report, they were trying to identify and look at national data and also to look in terms of student voice and pupil voice about what was the state of play with participation and engagement in physics education and what they identified was that there was an underrepresentation by certain groups within physics education especially poor 16 mm-hmm. and those groups were females some students from the black asian and minority ethnic groups especially black people those eligible for free school meals those with disabilities and people from the LGBTQ plus community. Mm. Now, in Wales as well, we've also got l- concerns about students who, um, maybe Welsh language students, who would want to continue their education through the Welsh medium provision, specifically within physics. Mm, mm. Obviously, because we're all aware of the teacher recruitment crisis and in terms of the um, number of qualified teachers, physics specialists teaching through the medium of Welsh. Mm. So, what I'd like to do is just to give you a bit of a flavour about the types of data that we're talking about. Now, I I understand that big data doesn't always excite very many people, (laughs) Um, so we are going to look at some of the voices behind that data as well. But just to give you some examples, now, this is from 2019, and this is drawn from Stats Wales. Now, in 2019, 237 girls chose A-level physics. Now, that's approximately 2% of the cohort if we, t- if we take A-levels as a whole. Mm. Now, that's against a backdrop of 738 boys taking physics, 9%. Now, you might look at that data and you might think, yeah, don't really know what that feels like. Let me give you a comparison. In 2020, more girls got an A-grade in psychology A-level than actually took physics a level as a whole gosh that gives it some perspective doesn't it it puts it into perspective mm. then. okay now as i say the 2006 report girls in the physics classroom from the iop did look at trying to understand the causes of gender imbalance and strategies to overcome them and they have done an awful lot of work since then with the improving gender balance project in Wales and the UK and Ireland. And also very many other organisations have been really deeply invested in trying to improve the gender balance within STEM as a whole. But we certainly come from those figures alone that we've just talked about there. It certainly appears and is certainly the case that the proportion of girls taking physics has remained stubbornly low, even though there's been a huge amount of work that's actually gone into the system there.
1: Just thinking, Julia, now, I mean, quite apart from thinking as a female s- physics specialist, I hope the IOP has got you insured for a suitably high <laughs> amount of money. <laughs> I am a
2: unicorn. <laughs> yes.
1: Taking our kind of teacher hats off for a second. It can't be very good for the subject domain of physics to Contain such an unrepresentative group of people. I mean, there must be implications for for the the subject itself. Absolutely, absolutely. This is the nature of it. Not
2: only in terms of the subject itself, but what the subject can lend to the economy. Because we're talking about this being wider than just physics. We're talking about this not just being about physics knowledge, but actually about the skills developed through the scientific method, through in terms of scientific thinking, in terms of problem solving, all of these aspects which feed into other jobs, wider jobs within the economic sector. So absolutely, this lack of diversity has potentials to be absolutely crippling for the economy. But it's not just gender that we're actually talking about. Again, if we look at ethnicity, now this data is drawn from England because qualifications Wales don't collect ethnicity data. Mm. But in 2019, again, let's give you some background data. We're talking about 2% of people of Black Caribbean descent took A-level physics, that's females, compared to 5.1% of the rest of the cohort. If we look at non-free school meals, 4% of black Caribbean females compared to 10% of black Caribbean males. 4% of white females compared to 20% of white males. So we bring bringing in that gender balance again there, but we've also got that intersectionality coming in. Yes. And that, again, let me just put that into perspective. If you're a female white British student who is free school meal eligible you are 10 times less likely to progress to A-level physics than a male, white, British student who isn't eligible for free school meals.
0: Mm-hmm. And I suppose it's when you start to get down into the detail of these very specific groups and as you say very specific cases where intersectionality that there, there are there, there might be multiple deprivation there might be it might fall into a category um, in terms of ethnicity there might be protected characteristics then we've got some really complex things that for a physics teacher on the ground or a stem teacher on the ground to address when they have also the accountability hanging over them of of GCSEs and of producing results, then it becomes a very tricky challenge and a very you know big challenge to navigate as a classroom teacher and just sticking with the teachers for a moment because I know you've given us some really interesting statistics about the learners there but you mentioned as well about the recruitment crisis in 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 terms of physics is there anything specific there because I know I noticed um in your presentation that you sent to us before this that the workforce statistics about teachers and and something that struck me and I don't know whether I got this right but for physics quite a big percentage of teacher trainees coming into physics trained in another subject Correct. am i right in absolutely saying that? absolutely i mean if if we look at the statistics
2: for 2019 2020 in terms of student teachers entering the profession so in terms of gaining qts 2019 to 2020 in the entire country in entire wales only five physics specialists were trained through the pgc route Yes, there were some through the PGD route. I'm going to give my nod to my Teach First Cymru colleagues of us bringing those into the system. But in 2019 to 2020, only five physics specialists into the system. Astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. I mean, if we take that again and we look at it in the context of those students who may want to pursue physics and their education through the medium of, of Welsh of first of welsh first language provision we look at that again those numbers in terms of those teachers coming through the system into the system who are capable and able to speak uh, to teach through the medium of welsh gets lower again
1: this might seem a bit of a sledgehammer question to ask uh, who might need to break this down but from what you're saying thinking about the physics classroom here it appears to be deeply unappealing both to the learners and people who might want to go and teach in it What's going on in that physics classroom? Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. Absolutely. And this is, this is where data only takes us so far. We need to dig a little bit further in terms of the stories behind the data. And that's what the limitless... I'd urge you to go to the IOP website immediately after this podcast, obviously, not during. But uh, have a look at the voices behind the stories of this data. Because when you look at the stories behind the data, you suddenly realise... This isn't just about physics, this actually gives an indication about what might be going on in everyone's classrooms regardless of subject.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I wonder if, if it might be useful to just at this stage, just to read one of these aloud because it, this is the one that particularly struck me and this is in the IOP Teaching Without Limits report that Julie was just talking about. It says, uh, this is from an 18-year-old female student with autism who said, in my physics class, girls were treated differently. If I answered a question correctly, I got a subdued response, whereas boys would be given an enthusiastic pat on the back. There were many occasions where a girl would ask something and be told it was a silly question. Boys were never told this. I found that teachers would mark girls more strictly and would give us more basic problems to solve on the board. These constant gender inequalities contaminated the classroom environment and over time created a hostile environment for the girls. I mean, when I read that, Julia, it's I mean horrified. the power of qualitative data for a start off, but my goodness, you know, there's, some, there's something going wrong there. So, is that familiar to you? Like, how do you feel about this? I think
2: it is, it, it is familiar. Now, I, what I don't want to do is start doing teacher bashing. No. Because we are all teachers here. Many of the decisions that we make are made through unconscious bias. And this is one of the things that we really do need to look at. And this is, again, one of the suggestions in the Limitless Report is that we need to start to be more reflective and really explore our own own unconscious biases, which may be leading to these decisions that we make in terms of the teaching approaches we're using. Mm -hmm. The quote that you've given there, um, absolutely, it, it just made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because it's just painful to hear that someone would be in that situation yeah and that's and sadly through the 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 limitless report that doesn't seem to be a story which is out of kilter there are common reports by students when uh for, for the the limitless report as I say in terms of the research that was done the researchers tried to dig behind the stories of the data and what they found were common reports of students within those underrepresented groups that I just mentioned as feeling that they didn't belong that they didn't feel that they were accepted that even if they'd made the decision to be there there was a hostile environment that they were facing mm. now those are students that have chosen the subject what we've got to think about is what about those students that have self-selected to not choose the subject that are hidden from the view and as i say the pupil voices came out very strongly in terms of feeling that they didn't feel accepted they didn't feel like they belonged they didn't feel like they were good enough so there was that impact on self-perception self-reliance it's not for the likes of me there's a really heartbreaking quote within the in the report which talks about a student from an area of high social deprivation saying that as far as they were concerned, physics was an elite subject and required money. So therefore, it wasn't for the likes of them.
0: Fascinating. I mean, totally anecdotally. I I remember my mum and dad saying to me, "Don't worry, Em. As soon as you finish now, this is when I got to you know the end of uh, of GCSE. Don't worry, you're going to be able to drop it and never have to think about physics." ever again. I remember them saying those words yeah. and me kind of feeling. So, you mentioned that parents and carers might be sort of reinforcing some of these messages.
2: Absolutely. I mean, what was interesting from the Aspire's research by the UCL research was that in the the, the initial research that they found was that parents and carers were given the impression that they valued the science and that they valued science as a subject for their their children, but actually there could very well be and what the um, the limitless report has found is that there's deep-seated misconceptions that are held about the nature of of physics and by association science. So for example, one of the comments that I've heard, frequently by people is to talk about physics and and science but physics especially as being rather a cold hard factual subject it's not creative in any way which is a complete and utter misconception which
0: i held we found this out before we switched the (laughs) switch the record (laughs) button didn't we certainly and i'm really glad that you you you're able to address this head on in this podcast
2: yeah i mean these these are misconceptions and as i say these are misconceptions which have been fed through our own experiences and what we hear and we absorb those we absorb them like a sponge so when we've got um a, a child who is looking to think about At the age of 16, choices for careers going further forward, and I know we're talking about this at the age of 16, but this actually permeates from a lot younger, which is what the the Aspires research started with, with the age of 10. That permeates, that sits, and who do we... Who do we bounce ideas off? Who do we trust in terms of supporting us with our decisions that we make but our nearest and dearest, our families, our friends, the community that we live in and that we work in? All of these ideas in terms of representation and what we see around us are so important in order for us to build our own identity and in this case our identity as a scientist or an identity as a physicist.
1: Now it's it's. I mean, I'm totally on board with this idea of physics, you know, and science being creative, and um, you know there being a, a really interesting side to it like that. But I'm just wondering whether, as you're you're suggesting there, the presentation of the subject as it's being experienced by pupils is not always busting those myths particularly efficiently
2: yes i think so i think so and i think we've got to look at that and where it's coming from potentially that's to do with the accountability in the system and the stress in the system especially in terms of examination criteria that we do as teachers chase the examination criteria and that's what we build on
1: and I suppose if large numbers of physics teachers are not actually first subject physicists, is it perhaps more of a challenge for them to take the artistic creative route as opposed to hanging on to the specification as, as a kind of guide or a, or a security blanket?
2: Potentially, yes. Potentially, absolutely because of um, the, the the subject specificity and the, the teacher confidence within that subject area. I know, for example, from my own experience of supporting student teachers and teachers, early career teachers and teachers of all experiences, actually. And again, I realise I'm stereotyping you. And what have we been talking about? The dangers of stereotyping. But there will be teachers, say, for example, who may have trained through biology who are biology specialists who will feel uncomfortable about teaching certain aspects of physics because they feel themselves very much like these students that we were talking about they feel that they're not good enough that they don't have that subject knowledge but there's an awful lot of support that's out there to actually support those very teachers who may not be subject specialists within This domain, for example, the the stimulating physics network with the Institute of Physics is absolute class in terms of supporting and improving teaching and learning at a grassroots level, especially for physics teaching. So this is possible in terms of what's out there and why it's so important that we address this lack of diversity for the reasons that we've talked about there, but also through the lens of improving learning and teaching at grassroots level. At classroom level
1: so it seems that at a really basic level the, the problem with this this diversity kind of recruitment thing is that there are people in schools who are thinking I can't be a female and a physicist I can't be black and a physicist I can't be poor and a physicist How do we go about persuading them that they can have their physics cake and and eat it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Can they have their physics cake and eat it? And so should they. And that, my friends, is where science capital teaching approach comes in. Now, we talked about the Aspires research by uh, UCL and Institute of Education Spanning 2019 to to present day, in terms of, of tracking people's aspirations and the barriers to those aspirations in science. So, as I mentioned before, let's think about this. I know it isn't necessarily a direct link between physics and STEM as a whole, but let's take this as a good proxy, okay? And this is what we are doing in Wales. In terms of trying to approach the recommendations that have been made in the limitless uh, Limitless report, I should say, for the Institute of Physics and its corresponding manifesto that we are asking schools and governments to, to think about. This is how we're approaching it within Wales, is that we've set up an inclusion and equity network And through this network, we're looking to address some of these issues of inequality using science capital teaching approach through UCL, as I say. Let me explain a little bit more about what that looks like. So there's certain ways of looking at this. So the aim is actually to help more and more diverse students engage with science by building on good and effective teaching practice. And it's explicit in focusing on and recognising and valuing students' existing science capital whilst also helping them to build new science capital. All of that sounds a bit wordy, doesn't it? Yeah, I've got to admit, I think so too. So what I want to do is, I'd like to paint a a mental picture for you. So you want to use an analogy of a candle. I wish I could take credit for this analogy, but sadly I can't. It's, It's a... a a UCL analogy but I think it captures it beautifully. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to think about your students in your classrooms not as not as people but as candles and the bodies of those candles represent the learner and they represent all of those things that the learner brings into that classroom every single day. You might be familiar with the term that we call capital It's the kind of like hold all of all of the things that make you up as a person and the things that you value and your dispositions. Mm -hmm. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to home in on science capital in this case. Okay, so we're looking at they hold all of how they feel about science, how relevant they think it is. What's the level of their scientific literacy? And what, what by that, I mean their competencies, their knowledge, their attitude, how science works what they know about science and what they think they know about science. What their knowledge about the transferability of sciences. So, for example, utilising and broad application of science skills, knowledge and qualifications. What's their science media consumption? Their participation in out-of-school science learning contexts. How much family and home value science, talk about science, and the kind of skills, knowledge and qualifications and jobs and interests families and friends have? What contacts they have? Who do they know that does science-related roles that they may not necessarily think is directly science? And that's wider family, peers, friends, community circles. And how much do they talk about science in everyday life? and make this really relevant to them. That's what we mean by science capital. Now, if we think about the body of that candle, it's going to be made up of that science capital. But it's also going to be made up of the other identities that they bring into the classroom, their values, their dispositions, their attitudes, how they feel about themselves, their level of resilience. All of that is going to make up the body of the candle. Now, that's the fuel for us. That's the fuel for that candle. We as teachers are the match. We produce the heat. What do we want to do? We want to ignite the flame. Now, if we want to ignite the flame, the flame is representative of the engagement of the pupil. What's it dependent on? Well, dependent on, from, from, a, from very basic science, let's go back to um, the, the fire triangle. <laughs> we need, there's always a teaching episode in this, Tom. <laughs> we need fuel. We need heat. Mm -hmm. What else do we need as the third side? Come on, guys. Oxygen, guys. Well done. Oxygen from the atmosphere. Oxygen from the environment. Now, that's what we need to bring into the classroom. That's our classroom environment. If we've got a child whose flame is dying or whose flame is very hard to light because they've got very little fuel, they've got very little science capital... We've got to increase that oxygen-rich atmosphere. That's what we have under control, our, our control as teachers. It's the opportunities that we bring to that flame. Mm-hmm. And we have the power to squash that flame or make it glow incredibly brightly. Mm-hmm. I understand it's not just us, but what we're almost talking about is this being a compensatory mechanism for the lack of any science capital that they bring with them. Now, this is where the analogy breaks down. Well, I was just
1: thinking if you don't give enough oxygen, it will produce poisonous carbon monoxide and we'll all die. Correct.
2: (laughs) And that's why if we don't address things like stereotyping in our classrooms and that form of it, that's the carbon monoxide. That's what's actually going to make
0: the flame go out and i suppose if you assume that the fuel is low going back to your idea about sort of biases and and uh, adopting a deficit perspective is if you don't take the time to consider like what existing science capital they do have when they come into the classroom like you said they might have an aunt or an uncle or a sibling who you said earlier on about his is a mechanic and therefore is dealing with science and engineering and and all of that you know day to day and and they just it might not have occurred to them that there was a link to what they were doing in their school science lessons and what their cousin or someone who they're really inspired by does absolutely
2: but it can be something even even on a more general level than that that if they've made tea for their mum or dad the night before in terms of cooking. Yeah. That we bring that in. That granddad has got a beautiful veg garden and they help out in granddad's veg garden on a weekend. We can bring all of those things in. You're absolutely right. Often as teachers, what we try, we, we think about, we think about the deficit. And what we try and do is parachute in actions for that deficit. What I'm suggesting and what Science Capital suggests is If we take, rather than looking at a deficit approach, we start to think about what those people can actually bring in to the classroom, it takes it on its head. Now, when we've talked about the the candle flame, that's essentially what we're looking at in terms of inequity. The whole point about the work that we're talking about here with science capital teaching approach, isn't that we're pretending that inequity doesn't exist We know it exists, but what we're doing is we're trying to identify the barriers to that and doing something about it. We're trying to remove those barriers. Now, if we start along those lines, exactly as the the way that you've just mentioned, and the term for it that we use within science capital teaching approach is called uh, broadening what counts, we don't start from a deficit. We start from Tom's granddad has got a beautiful veg garden. Tom, can you tell us about when you work with him in the You're starting to make that child value this is science this is science related i have something to contribute mm-hmm. so it starts from a position of strength for that child to allow them to engage mm-hmm. and to show others that engagement mm-hmm. that could be enough to make tom's little flame burn just a little more, bit more brightly than it would have done normally
1: I'm just thinking now this is possibly going to take us wildly off topic. So if, if this does happen, you can slap me from over there, Julia. But <laughs> looking at some of your data in the report that you sent us, and I mean, I'm, I'm concentrating on the gender issue simply because that's what you had some nice bar graphs for. It was really striking for me to notice that your bar graph for for physics was The exact mirror image of our bar graph for the performing arts, we had... uh, I mean, in fact, I think ours was even more skewed, where we had more girls than boys yeah. carrying on with the subject. I was also really taken just then when you were talking about the the fact that people tend to see physics as too much of a hard subject and not to see the transferability. And as it happens I was reading a chapter just the other day by Chris Philpot in Debates in Music Teaching in which he was suggesting that music as a subject could die because music specialists spend far too much time talking about the transferability of the skills gained in music and not enough time bigging it up as a hard subject Mm -hmm. it's almost like the problems that you have and the problems that we have are are kind of equal and opposite and I I was sort of musing on the fact whether whether almost bringing out our weaknesses and our shortcomings as subject domains and and putting them out on the table and and working together might actually be of some use I'm not quite sure what that would look like
2: I think so I think so. I mean, in terms of you, the, the way when you were just talking then, and you know, I'm really glad to hear that you you've admitted you are a physicist at heart. I always knew it, Tom. <laughs> always knew it. But this is the nature of when when we talk about valuing and broadening what counts is looking at where do science and physics sit within music. We often do think about subjects in isolation, and I know curriculum for Wales is is doing a. Um, I was going to say doing a job. That's not the wrong way. That's the wrong way to say it. Um, But they are making an attempt to actually smooth out the boundaries, should we say, in terms of subject areas. But it is really important as well to identify that different subjects do have specific identities. Mm. So I think you're absolutely right in all of the in, in what you were saying is that we do need to sit down and look at the inequities and the inequalities with our different, different subjects that we're looking at and with those hats on. But I do absolutely think that we need to firstly develop deep understanding in knowledge and skills within our subject domain before broadening out to other areas because I do think that could have the reverse effect of a child missing the point of what the subject actually is trying to do and looking at the transferability rather than just thinking in terms of complete generalisation.
1: I was going to say it could be a help, couldn't it, Curriculum for Wales, but it could equally be a layer of obscurity kind of papering over some of these problems. And a lot of the research that we've looked at has said, you know, that, that you make these connections on the on the shoulders of a really solid grounding in subject domains. Absolutely. Otherwise it becomes meaningless. And therefore, if you're going to rely on Curriculum for Wales to smooth out the boundaries, it, it's going to blur the problem, but it could potentially make the underlying issue issues worse
2: i completely agree on that i can i completely agree i mean let's be fair i am not in any shape or form advocating that we start to teach physics through Fortnite, for example um you know this is the nature of what what we're talking about it's about valuing the identities and the specific identities and the specific skill sets and knowledge of the subject but actually making them relevant and making it come alive within everyday life. Mm. And it isn't about paying lip service to a context. It's not about putting it in terms of a a surface level context. It's about making that context relevant and real for that person. Mm. And that may be through a connection, like we've just talked about, that you you mentioned beautifully there, Em, about developing ideas in terms of of career progression.
0: It it strikes me that something that schools might like in one sense with this science capital approach is that it's relatively inexpensive in terms of the fact that it is it's about the teacher being able to tap into those streams of really important knowledge about their pupils and therefore as a as a technique as an approach or a a series of approaches it's not going to cost much and therefore it'll be appealing however in terms of time equals money I wonder if maybe some of the, and again I'm going to stereotype here, the more sort of traditionalists out there who might say, well, when do you expect me, Julia, to, oh, and Institute of Physics to find out all this information when I've got this curriculum that I've got to teach and I've got to get them to GCSE and to fill them with knowledge and, you know, oh, this whiffs of progressiveness and, you know, what, what, I mean, number one, do UCL have, um, have data that suggests that this approach is is, has got efficacy and is working and number two for a, for a teacher who might come back with some of those arguments what would you say okay that's a, those are those are two really good questions
2: and they're two really valid questions the i can answer the first one incredibly quickly in terms of is there evidence to support the efficacy of this absolutely take a look at the ucl website the science capital teaching approach has now been expanded out to primary colleagues as well that was launched on tuesday the 19th i think that's correct of october the information is on the ucl website i would urge people to have a look at that so the answer to the first one is yes there is evidence to show that this does have impact secondly completely understand we're all very time poor but the other thing that we've got to think about is is this weighing up between being time poor and covering a curriculum compared to quality and we've talk time and time again and I know that the three of us have talked about the nature of doing it less but doing better so going more deeply rather than broad so instead of having curriculum coverage which looks like a horizontal I, we're actually looking at curriculum content which looks like a T so we have breadth but we have depth we're doing things better we're doing things maybe doing things slightly less but we're doing them better. By starting from pupils, by starting from pupils' experiences, we can build in better engagement. I mean, you've only got to look at some of the benefits of science capital teaching approach that have come out from the research. The first, undoubtedly, that is that it improves students' understanding and recall of science content, which will please our traditionalists it helps students find science more personally relevant it deepens their appreciation of science it widens and increases students engagement within science and in lessons it improves students behavior during science lessons woohoo <laughs> that's a win-win and it increases the proportion of students seeing themselves as sciencey it see it increases that proportion of self-perception the I can do the resilience element. For me, that's compelling. For me, that is absolutely compelling. I completely agree in terms of we have got a crammed curriculum, but I do think sometimes that if we look at things in a slightly different way and do a slight reorganisation, we suddenly find time for things. And the other thing that I think with this kind of approach is that initial investment pays dividends later on so that we can actually move faster in time because we have that deeper level of engagement and deeper level of understanding
1: and i suppose just a question to you then as a physics teacher yourself
2: (laughs) i am indeed i'm proud to be here
1: it sounds to me like if somebody out there is considering currently entering this this physics classroom perhaps perhaps is entertaining some of the doubts that we've we've kind of expressed during this interview just kind of on a personal level as someone who's seen there been there seen it and got the t-shirt if they want to do it it sounds like there's plenty of opportunity they'll be they'll be basically dragged in and 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 you know gaffer taped to their teacher's Absolutely. chair and left there till retirement age why should they teach physics as opposed to do something easier
2: <laughs> like we talked about we absolutely are crying out for diversity in the profession but especially within physics and within science if we think about carrying on down the path that we have with this under-representation mm. we have a big issue in terms of the pool of ideas getting narrower and narrower which is is a massive implication economically and socially. So you're right in terms of thinking about entering the profession to increase that diversity pool and that representation for the generation that comes after us. But that's not taken away from the fact as well that it's absolutely a blinding job and probably the best job in the world. And a subject which has always been very close to my heart. And what better way could you ever want to spend your time in terms of occupying time, should I say, for the next couple of years? So, PGC students, physics potential, physics teachers galore, please join our happy little band if you want to know more. Please feel free to have a look on the Institute of Physics uh, website and the uh, Limitless campaign. And also in terms of potentially joining the network within Wales to look at reducing the situation that we're in in terms
0: of inequity in the system. What's the quickest, most direct way of finding out about the network, Julia, and, and, and signing up to it? Okay. Probably the
2: easiest way to do it is to contact me directly. So that's on julia.jenkins at iop.org. You can also look out for... Session dates that are coming up. We run um, meetings on a half-termly basis to the network, and there's also support materials which sit behind the network, uh, which we will be able to to give you links to. And that's for self-study. That's for toolkits. That's for resources. That's for signposting uh, to various organisations that would be very useful. Please look on Talk Physics or on Eventbrite. We advertise on Twitter. Our Twitter handle also is at IOPWales. Please give us a follow on there. All information is on there and don't forget as well that you've also got the brilliant uh, stimulating physics network coaches who are at your beck and call obviously to help support you in terms of really implementing this work and embedding it in the classroom as well and they run uh, cpd sessions on um termly basis on different subject areas so as tom mentioned earlier on and you, you mentioned as well um that if you are a, a non-subject specialist who really feels that they need support in these areas to really bring science alive in the way that science ca- the science capital teaching approach does please Those are your guys. Those are your go-to guys. The SPN coaches for Wales
0: are absolutely brilliant and they are your go-to guys. Thank you so much, Julia. Really fascinating to hear about the research and all of the initiatives that are stemming and thriving from all of this research. So, I know you've you've come prepared with your homework, and I know that your something to try. Actually, is probably the next uh, best stop on our podcast journey because you've got something for science teachers out there to maybe try in the vein of of science capital so what have you got for them to try yeah and I think this actually extends not only to to
2: science teachers but teachers of any subject and teachers of any phase as well so think back to that candle analogy that I gave and as you're planning a lesson home in and think about one of those students in your class whose candle flame seems to be wavering And think about one thing, one small thing, because at the root of the science capital teaching approach is, as Em said, this isn't about bringing in the new and shiny in. It's about small tweaks, small tweaks to your existing practice. So think about what you can bring in to help that child broaden what counts. And it could be something incredibly small. It could be about knowing something about their background, about where they live. The example that we gave about Tom and his granddad's garden, something small that you can bring in there, but they will show that child that you are valuing them and what they can contribute and what they can bring to that classroom. And then stand back and evaluate it. Watch what happens when you take that approach next time. We're not talking about making massive changes we're talking about small steps small steps there was wasn't there an astronaut that mentioned something about small steps there tom something (laughs) along the lines (laughs) but in terms of small steps make the biggest changes not the giant leaps
1: and there's a, something to try that's uh, good for all subject domains, age phases, and stages of your career. I would suggest. Okay, and our final short slot is something interesting. So hit us with yet more of the interesting. Dr. Well, the Jane.
2: only the, the interesting thing that I have to obviously flag up is what we've been talking about all today. Is please feel free to go and have a read of the limitless report by the institute of physics and again even if you're not a not a a physics specialist or a science specialist read it with your subject hat on Mm -hmm. because this has formed the basis of the whole school inclusion and and equity element and network that we're looking at in wales what can you learn from that that you can apply to your own subject area
1: That's a brilliant something to try, actually, isn't it? Because that's what we've been doing all the way through this is don't just read your own subject stuff. We find it so interesting reading about other subjects and then putting our subject hat back on and seeing what it can tell us.
0: Absolutely. Dr. Julia Jenkins, another real pleasure working with you on this episode and finding out about what you've been up to. I'm sure you'll be back with more to tell us about this. Oh, I hope so. I'll be hammering down the door if not. (laughs) And uh, we're going to go and have a fish finger sandwich now. I don't know what you guys are doing, but uh, maybe you want to do the same thing.
1: (laughs) Something to try.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely something to try. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears in two weeks' time.
1: You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guest this episode was Dr. Julia Jenkins from the Institute of Physics and her email address is julia.jenkins at iop.org. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blanford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching.